Good morning, Midland Free. Good morning. Welcome here. Happy Thanksgiving. My name is Pastor Jeremy. We're so glad you're here to join us. If you're joining us online, thank you. Thank you so much for setting aside time intentionally every week to stay plugged in and and connect with the community and family of God here at Midland Evangelical Free Church. We are thankful for God and his word, and we want to get into that this morning. But let me just refresh your memory of what we're doing. You've already seen the themes coming out for today with Mission Sunday and stuff like that. But it's not just random. It's intentional. We're trying to connect everything we do to our mission and vision. And let me just remind you of our vision real quick. Here at Midland Free, our vision is... Here's the slide. We enjoy and glorify God. We embrace his word. And today what we're focusing on is that we engage the world. Last week we talked about being led by the spirit, welcoming, plugging in and reaching out. But today we specifically focus on that section which says that we engage the world. So I want to ask you a question as we get ready to go. And this question is for everybody. I know we're all at different life phases. We may be two years old. We may be very old, whatever that is. But um, the question is, and it's not just are you paid by an employer, but regardless of which circumstance you're in, whether you're a student, you're a retiree, you're in the middle of it, how many of you would say, I have work to do? I have work. All right, for those kiddos in the front row who didn't raise their hands, mom and dad, take note. (laughs) They need more work. (laughs) These guys need work. Somebody doesn't. I I think we've all got work to do. I mean, even if you're a retiree, even if you're in the nursing home, you can pray for people. I received a picture this morning after the first service of someone who is very elderly, and there they were with their Bible open in front of their TV, just following along and praying through the sermon. And what a blessing that was. No matter where you're at in life, regardless of where you're at, you have something to do. You have a work. And so this morning we're going to talk about a work in particular that is Jesus's work, not and how in particular that flows into our work and impacts what we do. But I was thinking about his work this morning and or this week and I also happen to be going through some work stuff here. It's the end of the year, so sometimes we do these, you know, um, leadership things. And and uh, I came across this self-evaluation this week, and it asked certain questions. How many of you, just curious, this won't be everybody, but how many of you have had to do like a self-assessment at work right before? Yeah, you know what that's about, one of those things. All right, so here's a few of the questions that I saw this morning, or this week. One was, I speak with genuine conviction about the higher meaning and purpose of our work. I tell stories of encouragement about the good work of others. True, false, sometimes, always. I praise people for a job well done. I appeal to others and share an exciting dream of the future. Hold those in your mind and we'll come back to assess those, not of our work, but of Christ's work here in just a bit but so that's the way we're going to approach today's quick sermon is that we want to look at jesus's work and what it means for us individually as individuals and globally what does christ work mean for us as individuals and for our entire world 
way we're going to do that is we're going to look here in the moment at the book of Acts. But if you're new to Bible and new to Scripture, you should know that Acts is really part two. Part one, or volume one, is the Gospel of Luke. This guy by the name of Luke wrote a story about Jesus' life. It's the one that you hear at Christmas time so much. It's the one on the Charlie Brown cartoon. And the reason they call it a gospel, that's actually a big deal, is because it means good news. And in that culture, what the gospel often before Jesus was, so it wasn't always a churchy term, it could be like the gospel of Caesar or the gospel of so-and-so or the gospel. All it means is a king is coming in to conquer. And for the people who've been oppressed and need deliverance, that's good news. The king has come. And so the herald would go out before the king and shout, victory, victory, victory in the name of so-and-so. And they would proclaim the good news to the people, the freedom of the captives, the liberation of the oppressed. And so now that term has taken on much greater meaning with the advent or the coming of Jesus. There is a gospel of a coming king, of a conqueror, and his freedom that he brings is so powerful that no oppressor in the entire world can stop it. This is a kingdom that will never end. Here is the good news. And so Luke, Luke tells his gospel, his good news as story one. And then story two, part two, is Acts, which is often called the Acts of the Apostles. But it should actually be the Acts of Jesus or the continuing work of Christ. Because Christ's work didn't just stop when he died on the cross. It wasn't over. It just begun. That was the initiation, the start, the seed that would go forth and bear fruit. And so Jesus is described in Luke and then the ongoing work of Jesus in the book of Acts. So I don't want to forget Luke, but we're going to start in Acts chapter 1, and I'll come back to the story of Luke here in just a second. So here's the text for today. Luke chapter, or sorry, Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. And you'll see Luke reference his first book here in just a second. Acts chapter 1 says this. In the first book, that's the Gospel of Luke, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands to the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, it's actually a good question, because the prophet Joel in the Old Testament says, when the Spirit comes, these are the last days, or these are the end times. So they're thinking, hey, this is it. But he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in these concentric circles in your city, in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, And the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, Jesus was lifted up. He was lifted up on a cross. He was lifted up out of the grave. And he was lifted up 
into heaven. Jesus should always be lifted up. Amen? He was lifted up, and the cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? What are you doing? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come again in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hey guys, what are you doing standing around? There's something to do here. It is the continuing work of Jesus. Now let me just dial it back or reel it back in a second because you're saying, whoa, the continuing work, what was the work? Well, that was the book of Luke. And much of the New Testament just reinforces that as well. But let us not forget what Jesus' work was for us as individuals. Now perhaps it's possible that you've heard this story before. Even if you have, it's a great story. If you haven't, listen up, because this is a big deal that could change your life. Jesus' work is the most important work in the history of the world. He is building his kingdom. Now, he really is a king, and he really will rule over everything. That is a promise from God, that Jesus is the king of the world, and he will rule over it. But... He takes his time. He's not quite in the hurry that a lot of modern kings are. Instead, he knows exactly what he's doing and exactly how it's going to go. And so he really works, even though in macro ways, he also works in micro ways, individually, one-on-one, with people, with you and me in a relational sense. So giving it time, he begins to approach us as individuals. And what we discover is this, is that we as human beings... And I hope you've come to this point. If you haven't, all of us need to. We all need to get here to be able to say, we're broken. We're broken. We're really broken. Like, the older I get, the more I realize I'm broken. Like, maybe when I was young, I, you know, thought I was special or something like that. But then the older I get, like, man, there's that bad habit, and there's that willful sin, and there's this that always comes up, and it seems like. I discover more and more under the rug as I go. And I realize how broken I am. And I would love to see all of that fixed, but the problem is I'm unable. Like I can't. Sometimes I try so hard, but it just never happens. So I'm broken, and I can't fix it, and that's not a very good feeling. And then I think about it, and I think about God, I think maybe he can help me, but God is way out here. Like, God is infinite. My arm only reaches this far, but God is huge. He's almighty. He's eternal. He's perfect. He's way beyond me. I can't reach God and pull him down to me. That doesn't work. I can't build the highest tower. I can't build the big, biggest telescope. No matter what we do, we can't reach. He's too far. I am finite. He is infinite. I am created. He is creator. We are totally different. I am sinful and broken. He is perfect. How can I reach? And then I look at God's word and I see the problem gets worse. Let's go with Romans 3.23. Romans 3.23 says this. Romans 3.23. We're going to go one more. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned 
and fallen short of the glory of God. And then Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. So we've all sinned. All of us are short. All of us are finite. All of us are limited. And what we get for that sin is punishment. So not only do I feel it and sense it and experience it, but God promises it. I am in trouble. I am condemned. I am guilty. I am damned. We all are. There is none righteous. No, not one. It's a bad spot to be in. And the Bible actually tells us it's worse. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and following. Saw that slide just a second ago. Here's Ephesians chapter 2. It says this. It says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Whoa, 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 I'm condemned? No, you're not just condemned. You're dead. In which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, the spirit that's now in work, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all, all of us, lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. We are so broken. We are so condemned. There is no hope in and of ourselves. I can remember one of the first um, conversations I had with someone in a church I pastored long ago. And this person was... Um, I don't know. I don't even know how to scrap. But anyways, they came to me and I said, so-and-so, tell me about, you know, your relationship with God. And they're like, well, I bring the pie to the funeral dinners and I come to church and I, oh man, oh Bill, I hope that's not what you're counting on to get you into heaven. That pie better be really good. (laughs) It's nowhere close. That's not going to be enough, no matter how many pies you bring. Coming to church is not enough. Look, we want you to come to church. It's a good thing, but it's just not going to do it. It won't cut it. What in the world are we going to do? We are broken. We are condemned. We can't get there. No matter how hard we try, not even the Pope himself can be righteous enough to earn his way to heaven. What then must we do? The New Testament, the Bible, tells us to call upon the name of of Jesus. And what happens then is when you do see we are finite, we are broken, we are limited, we are sinful, we are imperfect. But Jesus is infinite, he is perfect, he is rich, he is everything we need. And it would still not be enough if we were over here and Jesus is over here, but because Jesus came to earth and took on flesh, then what he can do is stand perfectly in that gap because he has both humanity and deity, 100% of both rolled into one. It's not like he's 50-50, 80-20, 60-40, or anything like that. He's 100% God and 100% man. So he serves as the perfect bridge to the infinite gap that exists between God and humanity. That's the miracle of the incarnation of God taking on human flesh. It's not that he just dwelled in a body. He was now forever taken on humanity. Jesus will always be the God man. And that is what makes him the perfect intercessor to save us and go before the throne of grace. 
The only way to God then is through Jesus. Because we are broken and dead, we cannot do anything in and of ourselves. And so when you come to the point that you admit, yeah, I'm all that, I'm all bad, I can't do it, there's no chance, I need Jesus, I repent of my sins, I am sorry for what I've done, I believe in the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, and return. I believe in those things. Then, what Jesus does is he sends his alive spirit to transform your dead spirit. The spirit of Jesus is how the Holy Spirit is referred to in Acts. And what Jesus does is he sends his spirit to people. Just like God sent his son to the world, Jesus sends his spirit to people. And then those people who have repented and believed get that spirit. And that alive spirit replaces or takes takes their dead spirit and it does the same thing it did to Jesus when he was in the grave and raises it to life. And your spirit is then born again. And that's why Christians use this term, oh, I've been born again. And people are like, what in the world does that mean? That means the Holy Spirit came inside of you and Ephesians 2 tells you you're dead, but that alive spirit made you alive again. It wasn't that you were physically born, so you were spiritually reborn on the inside. And then what happens, because the Father, Son, and Spirit are all one, this is what I think is one of the coolest parts. Now, because that Spirit is inside of you, you are united to Jesus. Like, you are one with Him. You're stuck to Him, because the Spirit is one. The Spirit is one with Christ, and Christ is one with the Father. And therefore, if that Spirit's in you, man, you're, you're just right up with Jesus. He's there. He's in you. He's with you. And if that is the case then you're safe, then you're secured, then you're covered by the blood of Christ. In which case, we have nothing to fear, but instead we have the guaranteed hope of our eternal redemption and salvation. And that is what Jesus did in his work. That is Jesus' perfect work. So I'll ask you again then about that leadership assessment. Can you speak with genuine conviction about that? Have you come to a point where you really believed in that? Do you tell stories of encouragement about his good work to others? Do you praise him for a job well done? Do you appeal to others based on that exciting news of the dream of the future? This is the good work of Jesus that he does in my life and in yours. That's what we're called to do as a church. We, we take that individually, but then we do it globally. We do it not just for ourselves, but for everyone. That's why in Acts chapter 1, verse 11, the angels are like, guys, what are you doing? Why are you standing around? Why do you stand here looking into heaven? This Jesus who's taken up will come back in the same way. Go, get to it. Get busy. There's stuff to do. There's people that need to hear this. They're dying and broken and sad and sinful. And they need Jesus just like you do. We all need Jesus. We need him every day. It's not a one-time experience. It's a daily over and over again. Repent, believe, be saved. Repent, believe, and be saved. I need to be saved from my daily sins. When I, when I say, Lord, deliver me from evil, and we pray the Lord's Prayer, we mean it because that evil is in us and we cannot deliver ourselves. We need this good news, this gospel, this kingdom, this king to conquer our hearts and the rest of the world. 
Jesus promises that he will. So right now, where are we at then? We're in between. We're in between the Advents. We're like, there was Christmas when Jesus first came, and then there's Jesus' second coming. Now, it feels like a long wait, and it's kind of miserable getting there for us, but God is patient. He's not quick to come back. Why? Because he's giving people time to repent. The sooner he comes, the less people get to repent. But the longer he delays, the more people have the chance to come to salvation. So by delaying, even though we want him to come, we want him to fix the world, he's giving more time, more opportunity. And therefore, as a church, we need to take advantage of that. We need to get ready for his second reign, his final reign, his coming kingdom. And we need to tell other people, hey, he's coming back and you better be ready because once he's here, there's no more chances. When he gets here, it's all done. And it's going to be great. It's going to be wonderful. But we really want you to be a part of that. And if you're not, uh, you're really going to miss out in a major way. Big deal. Bad news. Get ready. The king is coming. What are you doing standing around? Look. He'll come back in the same way you saw him leave. We have the privilege, opportunity, and responsibility of proclaiming what Jesus did in his first coming, his individual salvation, and we get to look forward to and proclaim what he'll do in the second, his global redemption. Our team at Midland Free, our global missions team, is here to help us do that, you know, because we're all in different places, but we know we want to do that And so that's what today is all about. They're going to give you some opportunities here in a minute to be a part of proclaiming the good news and sending it out to the ends of the earth, from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth, from right here at 7221 North Jefferson in Midland, Michigan, to Midland County, to Michigan, to the United States, to the ends of the earth. That's what we're talking about. There are sowing fields and there are harvest fields. There are all kinds of places. But at the end of the day, the point is, Jesus' work guarantees our individual salvation, redemption, and hope. And a perfect world, eternal future, his dominion, which shall reign forever and ever. Salvation and dominion, Jesus' perfect work. Let God be praised. If we were to assess his leadership this morning, I hope, that we would speak with genuine conviction about our higher meaning and purpose. That we will tell others stories of encouragement of the good work of Jesus. And we will praise him for a job very well done. And finally, I appeal to you, Midland Evangelical Free Church, to share in this exciting dream of the future. Father, we thank you for Jesus, your perfect son, and only Savior, our sacrifice, living King and God. We ask that as we try as a church and as teams and individuals, that you'll help us to reach out. Reach out to our neighbors, reach out to our friends, and reach out even to the world beyond. Lord, we bless you, we love you, we praise you, and thank you. We pray that you would complete that perfect work in us. In Jesus' name, amen.